Open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter 18. We're done with 17. We're going on to a new chapter. Acts chapter 18. Let's stop and ask God's help this morning as we see what his word says to us. Father, help us this morning as we read your word. Help us to see the truths contained therein. Help us to obey. Help us to repent. Help us to confess of any sin that lurks in our heart. And may that all lead to the worship of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us this morning. Be encouraged in your word. Sanctify us. Do your work in us. According to this text. In Jesus name. Amen. Last week we concluded Paul's sermon in Athens. When he was on Mars Hill. We saw that Paul gave his argument. To those gathered on that hill. They worshipped many different idols. And they even had one idol that was left unnamed. It was called to the unknown God. And Paul used that unknown God and used it as a bridge to uh, help their ignorance in seeing that the unknown God that they don't know about is in fact the true God. And he has proven himself by sending his son, Jesus, and by raising him from the dead. And because he has risen from the dead, Paul tells them, God has commanded all people to repent. And the resurrection is proof that there is a judgment to come. We saw that some people mocked Paul's message, while others believed Paul's message and became Christians, followers of Christ. And now we come to the 18th chapter in Acts. Let's look at verse 1. After this, his time on Mars Hill in Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Went to Corinth. Let's bring up the map so we can know where Corinth is at. This is a map we've been looking at. Uh, it's zoomed in on the far west side. The east side is cut off. The west side showing us Paul's second missionary journey, which he's been on now for some time. Corinth, you see Athens there in about the middle of the screen, the left-hand side. And Corinth is about 50 miles to the west of Athens. Uh, Corinth is in this province of Achaia. These are all Roman provinces. Macedonia is northern Greece. Achaia is what we now know as southern Greece. This is how the Roman Empire divided the provinces across their empire. Corinth was a very important city. It was a cultural megacenter. It had people from all backgrounds and places living there. I guess in some ways you could say it was like a melting pot of people from all religions, all cultures, all philosophies coming together in one place. This was because it was easy to make it that because it was a major center in that world for commerce and trade. 
It was laid at the intersection of, of two seas and the port that went through, port, two ports on either side that helped them get trade from all around the world. Hugely important city as far as the economy of that day goes. But not only was, a, not only was it economically, economically and culturally important and, and vast, but it was also sinful. Corinth was a very wicked city. As you could tell, by having all sorts of cultures merge into this place and all these idolatries and ideas come, you bring everything through the front door. Corinth was a very sinful city. In fact, you could probably classify it as the Las Vegas of our day. Las Vegas is known as Sin City. And Corinth would have been the Las Vegas of the first century world. Uh, except what happened in Corinth, Corinth didn't stay in Corinth. Everyone knew about their lifestyle and everyone knew about their immorality. As a matter of fact, among the Greek-speaking people, it became a, a, sin, a, like a, a, a way to say it. To live like a Corinthian was to say that you were living very wicked. You know, you've, we all heard a walk like an Egyptian, right? This is live like an, a Corinthian. To live like a Corinthian was very, very bad, a very, not a good compliment. And so it's different from Athens, where Paul just was. Athens was a philosophical hub of the world, uh, we, where they debated ideas and philosophies, and they had all these different uh, ideas come into mind. They were very intellectual, they worshiped the mind. In Corinth, they just worship the lust of the body. Anything and everything goes. The Corinthians seem to have been primarily worshiping the traditional Greek gods, Zeus and uh, all the other ones. But in Corinth, there was a special temple, which kind of helped, it, it helps explain their sexual perversion. Because in Corinth, there was a temple dedicated to the goddess of love and sex. Epaphrodite is this goddess. Our English word, aphrodisiac, comes from the worship of this false god. It carries the same sexual connotation. Aphrodisiac is a substance or food that increases sexual desire or pleasure. They worship this goddess called Aphrodite. It sat on a 1,900-foot hill that could be seen all around the city. And here's the most interesting thing about this and explains the sexual immorality that was pervasive in that city. 1,000 temple priestesses who worshipped there at the temple of Aphrodite came down into the city each evening to become ritual prostitutes. They would come and flood the city with their sexual perversion and prostitute themselves in the name of Aphrodite. So you could kind of get a glimpse of how bad the city is. Each night, 1,000 prostitutes come into the city. Sexual morality, you can understand, being the major sin there. Wicked, wicked city. Which, if you know anything about Paul's letter to the Corinthians... Right? The Corinthians were a messed up church, weren't they? They were a church with lots of issues, lots of sin 
that needed to be dealt with. They, they were God's people. They were, they were Christians. But they had to be redeemed from a very, very uh, devious lifestyle. And so God is doing a work in Corinth. But wow, what a place to preach the gospel. So here comes Paul. Come into this sexual perverse city of his day to share Christ with these wicked people. Look, look, look at verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Here Paul encounters uh, some new friends. They are a married couple, Aquila and Priscilla. They were Jews, but had lived in Rome. And Luke tells us here that they were kicked out of Rome when the Roman emperor at the time, whose name is Claudius at this moment, he's the new Caesar in town, the Roman emperor Claudius expelled and kicked out all the Jews from Rome in 49 AD. The reason why he kicked out the Jews is because the Jews in Rome kept having riots. And they kept having riots over what? Christianity. The church in Rome was growing and exploding. The Jews were rioting. And finally the emperor said, enough. And he kicks all the Jews out. Aquila and Priscilla were two of the Jews that he kicked out. Now historically, that happens of a historical record. It happened in 49 AD. Look up your history books. Emperor Claudius kicks out Jews. So we can date Acts chapter 18 to just shortly after that to about the year 50 to 51 AD. So this is happening around that time period of just after that expulsion of Jews from from Rome. They arrive in Corinth as well as Paul did and sit there. Look at verse, and the rest of the verse says, and he went to see them. So Paul knows them. He gets to know them. He becomes friends with them. But because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. He has something in common with them, not only being Christians, and I believe Aquila and Priscilla are already believers at this point. They, he had another bond. They also did the same thing that he did. Paul was a tent maker. The word here is one who works with leather. He's a leather maker, a leather worker. He would work with goat hair cloth that was native from his uh, country of Sicilia, where he was from, where he was born, his home region. This is how Paul supported himself on his missionary journey. He would go to the different churches, and the churches would take up a collection. Some churches would take up a collection to help Paul, but Paul was not dependent upon their missionary support. He also worked leather and sold that to provide for himself. He talks to this, to the Thessalonians in his letter there too. So he winds up staying with Aquila and Priscilla in their home. Become good friends. As a matter of fact, Paul mentions them several times in his letters, these dear married couple. So what did Paul do while in Corinth? Well, what he always did. Look at verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. 
When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. You can't deter Paul, right? He's going to go first to the synagogue. He's going to tell the Jewish people first that Jesus is the Messiah. Also to the Greeks. Now what are Greeks doing in the synagogue? Greeks, these worshipers of God, were Gentile believers, proselytes to Judaism. So Paul shows up to Jews and Gentiles in the synagogue and he's preaching Christ, that Jesus is the one whom they've waited for. He has come. He has been crucified and risen again. He reasoned from them from the scriptures. See, the, Moses talked about him. David talked about him. The prophet spoke of him. This is him. But in every town Paul went, when he gave that message, what happened? There was persecution, wasn't there? In Derby, in Lystra, Athens, Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi. I can't imagine Paul being very weary. How about you? Because the next verse says this. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I think this is very interesting to stop and see Paul and his struggles. He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to return. So he's alone at this point. He just met Aquila and Priscilla. But he's alone. He keeps getting chased out of town, beat up, imprisoned, made fun of, reviled. And he's not only that, but he's also probably become discouraged. Because, yes, he's seen people trust in Jesus, he's seen good things happen. But at the same time, there's been a lot of bad things happen, too. Paul, I believe, is very wearied here in Acts chapter 18. And persecution comes to him here in Corinth as well. The opposition, the reviling him, the making fun of him, the disparaging and discrediting him. Paul's reaction is to shake off his garments. That was like a symbolic gesture. Jesus even said to shake off the dust off your feet if the city doesn't listen to you and move on. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He's shaking the dust off his garments, meaning the dust I collected while walking through your city, the ones you walked on as well, I'm freeing myself of that responsibility because I've already told you the truth and so the blood be on your own heads. I've already given you my responsibility. Now it's your responsibility to believe. And he tells the Jews, from now on I'm going to the Gentiles. Forget you. Now remember Paul's point to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here he gets so frustrated. He says, I'm done with you Jews. I'm done with you Jewish people. You don't listen to me. You don't, you don't respond to Christ. Yeah, there's some Jewish people that are believing. But you could see this, how it's weighing on him. Yeah, discouragement in ministry is a real thing. Ministry is a, an emotional roller coaster. For Paul, it was people wanting to kill him, beat him up, or put him in jail. 
constant discouragement every day, every week, every city. You could just sense that it's weighing on him and weighing on him. Sometimes we lift Paul up and put him on a pedestal. He is just a sinner like everyone else. He's just as human as you and I. Acting emotionally, acting in anger, acting out because of discouragement. Have you ever said anything when you're discouraged that you wish you didn't say? Yeah. Or acted emotionally or written an email and hate and and say, I shouldn't have written that. Right? Uh, I mean, what Paul is saying here is not untrue. But what Paul is wanting to do is give up on the Jews in Corinth. And I think that affects him mentally, emotionally, and physically. We know the Apostle Paul had physical problems. We don't know what specifically those problems are. People speculate. We don't have to go into that. Well, Dan, how do you know he is having such a hard time? I mean, it doesn't say that here. It doesn't say in Acts 18 that he was depressed or discouraged. Or, I mean, we just see what he says, but how, how can you say that? Well, we know that while he was in Corinth, he wrote a letter. Well, first, let's, write, let's, see, let's see what he writes to the Corinthians. This is in the future. He's remembering his time when he first got to Corinth. Look what he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2.3. These are the people whom he's with. When he first got there, he says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Hmm. Weakness, fear, and much trembling. While Paul is in Corinth, he writes three epistles. He writes First and Second Thessalonians and the book of Romans. During this time, while he's in Corinth. Let's see what he says to the Thessalonians and see what his mental state was here. In First Thessalonians 3, 7, while he's in Corinth, while we're reading this chapter, he writes this to the Thessalonians. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction... We have been comforted about you through your faith. Remember, Timothy just came back from Thessalonica. Paul went to Athens. They meet in Athens. Paul says, hey, go back to Thessalonica. I'm moving on. Paul goes to Thessalonica, and he comes back and gives a report to Paul while he's in Corinth. And this report from Paul, from Timothy, is so encouraging. He says, the thing that's in comforting comforting us now Thessalonians is what? In the middle of our distress and affliction, we're comforted because of what we hear happening up there. We hear of your faith, how it's sounding out from all around the world. So in Paul's own words, while he's in Corinth, in Acts chapter 18, these are five words he uses. He's weak. He's fearful. He trembles, he's distressed, and afflicted. It's interesting. I've thought a lot about this passage this week as I've been studying it and reflecting upon what Paul was going through and the emotions of ministry and stuff like that. Ministry is difficult everywhere you go. 
There's no grass is greener on the other side, right? There's problems everywhere. It's like someone says, uh, being a pastor would be easy if there were no people. But then there would be no ministry because there's no people. By God's grace, I've been a pastor for 23 years this coming summer. Nine of them here at Northwest Baptist Church. And I'd be lying to you. I'd be lying to you. If I told you that I haven't had some very difficult days and discouraging days in the last nine years. I've learned that ministry is an emotional roller coaster, but it must be anchored in God. Must be anchored in God. And by God's grace, I've weathered some of those very difficult days, discouraging days. The days when close friends that were part of our church left. That hurt. Still hurts. Whenever someone leaves and you don't understand why. It's painful. hurts when people who misunderstood me who wouldn't give me the benefit of the doubt and then accuse me of something I never did or thought or they took it the wrong way some of those people are no longer here or even one person who thought I was a false teacher and thought it was his mission to send me weekly emails to debate me and tell me how wrong I was just about every week. Yeah. And one person who was even attempting to start a revolution to undermine my ministry here so that I would leave. We've had some very difficult days in nine years. And I can hide it well But there were many, many days several years ago where I was weak and fearful and sorrowful and days that I thought about quitting and moving on. I did. I'm just going to resign. Let me just go somewhere else. This is just too much. Some of that may come to a surprise to many of you. But that is the up and downs of ministry. Many things that you can't understand. But even in the midst of all that, God sustained me. God sustained me through you. Phone calls that you didn't know what it did to me. Little notes you passed me as you walked out the door. Emails you gave me. Encouraging my heart. Telling me how you're growing closer to God. What you're learning. Or who you're sharing your faith with. You don't know what God did through you. People who have come to the church. In moments where I thought this was it. God gave me the joy when I shouldn't have had joy. And fighting those battles were very, very difficult. Giving me patience and strength to persevere. Honestly, the last three years have been such a blessing. I'm so glad those days are long gone. I've never been in a better place 
emotionally and physically and mentally. Well, maybe not physically, but we're getting there. Um, And God has strengthened our church in so many ways. He's brought so many new, incredible people to our church. Have you noticed? Look at all the new faces around here. They weren't even here six months ago or a year ago or two years ago. And through this and through God's grace, he's given me great joy today. And all day, although there was a day where I wondered if I would ever be your pastor for very much longer, thank God those days are long gone. I love being your pastor. It's the highlight of my life. It's the honor of my life. But please pray for me. I covet your prayers so much. And if you don't like me, sorry, I'm not going anywhere. Um, you're stuck with me until the Lord says otherwise. But what a blessing the recent days have been. And I've shared with some of you how much of a blessing you are. And you don't even understand. You don't even understand. But the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. Well, the Lord is about to encourage Paul. He's weak. He's fearful. He's trembling. He's giving up on the Jews. He's afflicted. Paul wants to give up and move on. Look at verse 7. After they kick him out of the synagogue, he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. This man is a Gentile, proselyte to Judaism. That's why they call him a worshiper of God. He worships the God of Israel. He's a Gentile. His house was next door to the synagogue. Right next door. So he goes and goes right next door To a Gentile. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believed, hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Just as Paul is feeling defeated and weary, the Lord encourages him. The Lord blesses his ministry. Titus, Crispus. And who did God save? The leader of the synagogue. The place where he was that they kicked him out and reviled himself. Their leader wasn't one of them, but believed in Jesus. This all happened next door to the synagogue. Like Paul leaves, walks next door. He talks to Titus and in comes Crispus. Oh, Good to see you here. Paul shares Christ and both of these men become followers of the risen Lord. And not just Crispus, his whole house, trust in Christ, and many of the Corinthians. Here's Paul ready to give up, and the Lord blesses him. The difficult days are difficult. But the wonderful days are truly wonderful. Look at verse 9. God is not done encouraging Paul. He says to him, And the Lord said to Paul, One night in a vision, Do not be afraid, But go on, Speaking, And do not be silent. For I am with you, 
and no one will attack you to harm you. What is God telling Paul? You're not giving up. You are not giving up. You're going to keep on going. You're not going to be afraid. Keep on preaching. Keep on teaching. Don't shut up. Don't be done with the Jewish people. And here's the reason. Look at verse 10. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. Verse 10. For I have many in this city who are my people. Paul, you may be thinking that everyone's out to get you. And that's true. (laughs) But here's what you don't know, Paul. There are many people in this city who are my people. And as long as you stay, there won't be anyone to lay a hand on you. There won't be anyone who will attack you. God is putting his protection on Paul. He's encouraging him. Keep on going. Don't give up. And here's the reason. I'm with you. And I have many people here. Now, wait a minute here. Paul normally stayed a few weeks in a city and then just kept on going. But not here. Why? There's many people in this city who are my people. Your people? This is Corinth. This is Sin City. This is wicked. This is a wicked place. There are Christians here? No, not yet. Because remember, the only Christians were who? So far, we know Titus, Justice, and some other Corinthians. But that now, after that happens, God says, there are other people in this city. Who are my people? Who are they? Where are these hidden Christians? They're not Christians yet. But they will be. Well, how then how are they your people? If they're not Christians. How are they your people? If they haven't believed yet. And that's very important. God calls them his people. And here's an important truth to know. We don't become his people when we believe we become his people before time even began. God has a people. He has a people whom he has chosen to give to his son as a bride. This is the message of the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes this to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved Who are these people? They're people that I have chosen since before the foundation of the world. And it's his purpose. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. To make an eternal covenant to redeem these people. And it cannot fail. 
It cannot fail. These are the elect of God, the chosen of God, before time even began. In John chapter 6, this is what Jesus tells the crowd gathered there who he had fed the loaves and the fishes to. He tells them all that the Father gives me. Who does the Father give him? Those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world. They will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the Lord's day. Here's the thing. There are people in this city that don't yet believe, but they're my people. And Paul, through your preaching, they will become known and understand and believe to be my people. You can't give up. There's a lot more work here to be done. You can't leave. You got to keep going. Perhaps Paul was maybe trusting in himself a little bit. No. And Paul knew better. He, Paul knew better. But again, emotions and discouragement get the best of you. Yeah, who are these people? The Father said it. Jesus said it. We already saw it in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, Paul comes there and he's figuring out this debate between whether do Gentiles need to be circumcised to become a Christian or not. And the, the word comes down that they don't. And when they hear this, the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Who believed? God's people believed. Those who were appointed believed. Paul made this his mission. Towards the end of his ministry, he writes this to Titus in Titus chapter 1. This is how he begins his epistle to Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of God's elect. And for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. For the sake of God's elect, Lord, I don't know who your people are, so you know what? I tell everybody the truth, knowing that your people will believe. The people whom you have drawn to yourself through your spirit, through your son, for the sake of God's elect. Oh, what a glorious truth the doctrine of election gives us in our confidence to spread the gospel, to persevere in ministry, to keep on going. Okay, look at verse 11. How long does he stay there? And he stayed a year and six months. He had never stayed anywhere that long. Okay, God says, I'm not allowed to leave. I guess I'm going to park you here a while. I'm going to make some more tents with Aquila and Priscilla. We're just going to keep on sharing Jesus and find out who are his people in the city. Well, how do you know you're one of his people? A lady asked Charles Spurgeon that one day. How do I know if I'm one of God's people? How do I know I've been predestined? How do I know I've been chosen? Charles Spurgeon says, sir, ma'am, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, then, of course I have. Then you are. Yes, faith 
in Christ, belief in the gospel is evidence of God's working in your heart, that you belong to him. Oh, yeah. He was encouraged by God. He doesn't quit. He stays there a year and six months, 18 months, a year and a half, and he preaches to all. The Lord blesses his ministry. The ministry is not only difficult in the midst of the sin of Corinth, it's difficult even in places that we know as like the Bible Belt. This is God's ministry, not ours. Amen? This is God's church, not ours. God has not called us to results or numbers or resume building facts. God has called us to faithfulness. That's what he wanted of Paul. Paul, I've given you a command. You go preach. You keep at it. You don't give up. Keep doing what I've told you to do. I'll handle the rest. It's not up to you anyway. I started this way before time began. I have a people. They will believe. Don't go anywhere. Look at the ones the Lord has brought to us in the last few years. Makes me wonder... Who are the others in this city? Who are in the others in this city that are his people? People that we haven't met yet. People that will probably move here. There's a lot of people moving here. Have you noticed that? People who will move here in the next year or so. Who will come here and as a result of our witness in this city. Become saved. Show themselves to be the people God has redeemed for himself. Who are the others in this city? We don't know. We don't know. That's a good thing. We go and we go and we go and we don't give up and we persevere and we are faithful. Days are going to be tough. Days are going to be good. No matter what they are, you don't look and base yourself in your circumstances. You base yourself in God and who he is and what he's done. That's how we persevere in ministry. The promises of God to do what he said he would do. We can't quit. We must move ahead. Bradenton is getting more wicked. But be encouraged. He has many more people in this city to be saved. We don't know who they are, but God does. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for such a human example in Paul. We see him so courageous and bold most of the time. Thank you for a moment where we could look into A time and place where he was greatly discouraged, defeated, fearful, trembling, afflicted, distressed. But Lord, you encouraged him. You gave him the example of Titus, Justice, and Crispus to say, Hey, here's a Gentile and a Jew. Now they're saved. By the way, there's a lot more of them. Don't give up. Don't give up. Oh, God, may you give us perseverance. May you give us great strength and encouragement. No matter what the future days will bring, 
Father, continue to work in this church. Continue to bless your people. Help us to be bolder. Help us to be more faithful. Help us to keep on going. Although there are days that we we don't want to keep going. But God, help us to do so. For the glory of your name. For the sake of God's elect in this city. And for your glory and renown. Help us, Lord, to make much of you. In your name, amen. Let's stand and sing a closing hymn. Christ, our hope in life and death, amen. May you be encouraged by God's word. Let me know if I can help you in any way. God bless you. Let's sing.